so much. Oh my god. Okay. Should we say it at the same time? Yeah. Three, two, one, hi. Yeah. Hey. <laughs> what a lovely Welcome. intro. <laughs> I know. We're gonna have to get better at this. Yeah. I mean, it's okay. This is our first podcast. Yes. Welcome to the first episode of our new podcast. Urban, Urban planning, planning is not is boring. Not boring. <laughs> um, we've basically soft launched it already with many people that we've brought it up to, but we're finally, finally getting around to filming our first episode. Yeah, Woo-hoo. seriously, super exciting. And um, we did want to take, you know, this podcast episode is an opportunity for us to kind of introduce ourselves and explain, you know, what led us into this uh, podcast topic and, you know, kind of why we wanted to do this. Um, but I think we also wanted to take a minute uh, to acknowledge what happened today um, on June 24th, which is the overturning of Roe v. Wade. Um, and so Sam and I just kind of wanted to take a second to talk about it and just kind of talk our feelings out about it um, as two women who, um, you know, we're not directly impacted by this, fortunately, because we're in the state of California, but we do want to just have a discussion um, because, you know, there are a lot of feelings to unpack about this. So, um, yeah, we're going to take a minute to just have a conversation about it. And uh, we hope, you know, you guys can can express your feelings as well if you need to. Um, so Sam, just how are you feeling and, you know, what are your thoughts? Yeah, uh, I don't know. I, I woke up this morning and like first thing I do every morning, check my phone yeah. and saw like the New York Times thing. And I was like, there's no way. Like I... I think living in California and just kind of like being in this bubble, it's always like, there's no way they're actually going to do this. Like, there's no way they're right. actually going to overturn 50 years of precedent, like take us basically back in time. And I just like sat in bed and I was like, how am I supposed to work today? How am I supposed to just go about my day? Yeah. Knowing like, and it is in, I feel in a weird position being in California because yeah obviously there's so much that we can do still to support like national funds and statewide funds in other States, but it's not, I don't feel as scared as I know like millions of other women do just because I know like, at least if I were to need one, it would be, you know, accessible in -hmm. the state. So I don't, I'm just feeling really like heartbroken for like all the millions of people that, are like very much so impacted by this who like might have I just keep thinking about all the trigger laws that other states have put in place where it's like oh just like that yeah Yeah. I you know I remember this morning you texted me literally just one word fuck Mm -hmm. and I didn't know for sure if like that's what you were talking about when you texted me that yeah I kind of thought about that after Yeah. And, you know, I read that and I was like, what, you know, what's going, cause I just woken up. I wasn't really, I didn't know what was going on. And then Mm -hmm. literally angel, my boyfriend tells me, Mm -hmm. Hey, did you hear what happened? And I was like, what are you, what are you talking about? And he was like, Roe v. Wade. And literally like my whole body, I was like, it got overturned. And he was like, yeah. And it literally felt unbelievable because Mm -hmm. like you said, 
we live in California. It's a bubble. We know mm-hmm. people, we interact with people, we engage with people that they are, you know, they don't even have any concept that that would be possible. It just mm-hmm. like us. And, and then, you know, you break that bubble when you hear something like that. And I think it just kind of shattered me because I think there are a lot of implications. Um, and like we were just talking about before we started recording, you know, even though we aren't maybe directly impacted here in California, I do fear, for instance, uh, orgs like Planned Parenthood that, you know, receive their federal monies um, that can potentially be impacted. So Planned Parenthood, it's like, I'm pretty sure um, their, you know, abortion care is such a small and insignificant mm-hmm. percentage of what Planned Parenthood actually does. And yet their organization is threatened now. Um, funding for their organization is threatened. So women who are not pregnant, but are seeking safe contraception or reproductive health care, um, or just healthcare in general may not have that anymore. And I, I am really going to be heartbroken if we see that and witness that here in the state of California, because Planned Parenthood isn't, is such an asset and is such a need for low-income folks and, and women in general. And I just, uh, I, I feel like, you know, it's hard to put these feelings into words, um, but truly I just feel disgust that this is even possible in our country at, the, at this time. I just really like, it's unbelievable to me. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I just, I'm trying to still wrap my head around it. So I'm not able to talk about it as well as I would like to. Um, but yeah, that's just kind of my thoughts on it initially. Um, yeah. And I think in the future, once we've like, I don't know, I, I had heard yesterday that they were likely going to release their verdict or their ruling. So I uh-huh. didn't have a lot of time to like, obviously prepare anything to talk yeah. about, but I think in the future, like we could do even a whole episode on just, there's so many ways that women are targeted. Yeah whether it be like gender violence on like transit, like we had spoken about before, or just like mobility and accessibility of different parts of the city and how to get around as a woman. And these are all linked to also being able to get safe healthcare. It's hard enough for women to navigate the city, let alone go to like a clinic. So I think it's something that we can definitely explore further Yeah, when we have more of the time and energy and bandwidth to even talk about it more. But yeah, I agree yeah. with that. Um, and I think, you know, there's no easy transition out of a conversation like this, which is why I think it actually would be beneficial for us to just constantly try to keep conversations like this going. Um, we don't have mm-hmm. to just table it and never speak about it again. I think it's important. Like you said, we can dedicate you know, a podcast to talk, talking about topics that are similar to this and, mm-hmm. um, just kind of discuss some of the, the implications of, of this, uh, ruling. Um, but in the meantime, we will, um, add some links, uh, in the show notes to resources, uh, if anybody needs them. And I actually, this morning, uh, I found a website 
Um, it's called threeforfreedom.com. You can access either birth control, emergency contraception, or medication abortion pills um, online through this website if you need them. And you do not have to be pregnant in order to um, have the medication abortion pills. You can just keep them on hand, you know, in case. Um, and these are for uh, women who could potentially be threatened, um, you know, for, or I'm sorry, who have the threat of being criminalized for getting a medical abortion, uh, in a state that, you know, is attempting to, um, criminalize abortion. So I think that, um, that's one site, but we're going to try to, you know, get some more information and link some more resources, um, that can, you know, discuss this topic and also that just provide options if, if they're needed. Um, and, it's a hard segue into, you know, the rest of the podcast, but I just want to say I'm, I'm sorry for all the women in this country that are going to be impacted by this. Um, yeah. Um, yeah, I don't really know how to go about this, but, um, we also wanted to just, you know, use this, use this intro episode to talk about who we are and what led us here and why we decided, decided to start this podcast. So, I guess we should just jump right in. Yeah. That feels weird. Yeah, it does. Uh, there, like, like we were talking about, there really is no easy way. Um, but I think we can just start by introducing ourselves and just discussing kind of what this podcast is going to be about. Um, so Sam, if you want to take it away, t- tell me who you are. <laughs> yeah. It's such a big question. So who are you? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Uh, so I'm Sam. I am from the Bay Area originally and um, went to high school in San Francisco, but moved to Santa Barbara for undergrad and um, didn't really know anything of what I wanted to do. Like I really went into undergrad having no clue. Uh, and I decided to do environmental studies as my major, kind of on a whim. Uh, just I was introduced to this concept of like climate change in high school and I was like, why is no one talking about this? The world is literally going to end and no one cares. So it kind of inspired me to apply for environmental studies. Like I said, not really knowing what I wanted to do. And I just fell in love with it. Like I really loved, um, it was definitely hard at times because it can be a lot of like doomsday, like the world's going to end if we don't act now. But as I've kind of grown up, there has been this sense of like climate optimism and resilience and using, you know, whatever skills you have to be in the movement. You don't have to be a scientist. You don't have to, you know, be an organizer. You can really use any skills that you have to be in this movement. And um, I never, I, I still didn't know what I wanted to do as I was approaching my senior year of undergrad, which terrified me. Um, but I came to planning. This is going to sound like setting a broad changed my life. Classic like story like <laughs> that. My woman. <laughs> no, seriously though, when I took, I took my first planning class when I was studying abroad in Singapore and it was a like theory class. Um, so it wasn't like practical, like tools, hands-on planning, mm-hmm. but it was really incredible to learn, especially in a place like Singapore. I mean, I feel yeah. like they are in a lot of ways, a model city, yeah. Um, in terms of their mobility and um, like their transportation, but it was, I was, I just came to kind of realize how 
important it is to have people in planning that are like diverse in experience and age and race and religion every aspect of a person because there are like no one has a unique like everyone's experience is unique in cities and in different regions so I kind of came into planning through that class and graduated during the pandemic so had no clue if I was just going to move home or if I was going to try and find a job and then luckily I got into grad school. I didn't think I would um, because I'm only 23 and I had just graduated from undergrad and I have really loved the planning program so far. It's been a really incredible experience. So that's kind of how I found planning. And I just saw this really unique way to kind of combine my passion for like environmental like sustainability and resilience and justice in a way that could impact cities and I don't know that's just kind of how I came to it yeah I think I kind of had like a similar path in terms of uncertainty because Mm -hmm. I had kind of a rocky start in undergrad so um just to backtrack a little bit my name is Natalie Crotta 23 years old and I'm a master's student at USC. I currently live in the suburbs. I was actually born and raised in the suburbs, unfortunately. I just kind of grew up essentially in a bubble city. The suburbs, you know, not much goes on. Um, So I went to a very good high school. That's why my parents moved here in the first place. They loved the school system um, and they wanted a home that was not in a major city. Um, But my dad worked in Los Angeles. And so um, he would constantly, when I was growing up, would take me to meetings because my dad is also an urban planner. And so he would take me to meetings. And I remember I'd be, you know, just literally like seven, eight years old, hanging out with city officials, like elected officials and city council members. And I would be listening to their conversations and I'd be hearing what they're talking about. And, you know, I remember, especially being in Los Angeles, like when I was six or seven, seeing how many homeless people there were. And me and my dad would always like, you know, it probably wasn't the best, but we would give money when we could. And like, if we saw someone in need, um, and I used to always ask my dad, like, you know, what are, why are these people here? Like, why are there so many people just on the streets asking for money? I'm not understanding this, you know? And like, I'm a naive, like six-year-old. And my dad was like, well, you know, this is the reality of what's going on. Like there are not enough houses to, you know, to provide individuals with affordable housing. And so they're, you know, they're on the streets and they don't have a place to live. And I really could never wrap my head around that as a young child. Mm -hmm. Um, And so cut to, uh, I was about to graduate high school and I was going to go into undergrad and I had got accepted to two universities um, and I had not yet declared what I wanted my major to be. And so I got accepted to UC Riverside and then I got accepted to San Francisco State And I didn't really want to go up into the Bay Area. So I was like, well, UC Riverside it is. Um, And then there, because I had so many doctors in my family and all my uncles were like, oh, like, what kind of doctor are you going to be? You're obviously going to go into medical school. And I was like, oh, yeah, obviously. So I started in biochemistry and quickly found out that I am really bad at science and I'm just not like I, I was not in it. And so I ended up literally just kind of 
messing around like my first year I was just kind of you know not showing up to classes and kind of being willy-nilly and um, I got my first D ever in a class and I'll never forget my dad was had continually asked me hey Nat I need your transcript uh, because we need the good student discount on our yeah. insurance and <laughs> like, I was like it's a yeah yeah, not a good student. Like, right. And I was like, oh my God, I have a 2.7 GPA. I, I can't, like, I, I'm not a good student. I'm not going to get the discount. And I also can't tell my dad because my entire high school career, I was a 4.3 GPA student. I was a good student. And so I was telling my dad like, oh, I'm sorry. I can't access my transcripts. Like I'm having, I'm having trouble. And then one day my dad just shows up in my apartment in Riverside and he's like, Hey, let's have a talk because I know that you're lying and I want to know what's going on. And I remember I'm like crying to my dad. Like I literally, I don't know what's going on. I hate my major. I hate the students that are in the major. The professors are just not good. Like, I feel like they just don't care about the students. I was really struggling. I feel like that was more of an excuse just because like, I didn't really want to be in that major. Um, Also the teachers in that major probably don't care. Yeah. I mean, a lot of them were like, they were pretty much for research there. Like their big thing was like, I'm here for research. And so there, they had to be a professor in order to, to do research Mm -hmm. at the university. And so I think it was like kind of an afterthought. Um, but also the competitiveness of the students there, I didn't like that atmosphere. Um, and so I was just really struggling and I was telling my dad and he was like, look, I'm not mad. I just, I want you to be happy in whatever you're doing. And so you need to find your, your alternative option, because Mm -hmm. at that point I was, on academic probation. And I got an email from my university that I was going to be kicked out if I didn't uh, get, um, increase my GPA the next semester, um, or quarter, sorry. Now we, we were in quarters. And so, um, I ended up switching my major into public policy because I was looking through the course catalog and I was like, you know, this is something I've literally grown up with around my whole Mm -hmm. life. So, you know, let me, let me look into this. And I took my first class over the summer And it was, um, just a standard like introduction to public policy. And it was one of the most interesting classes. It was economic policy. And it was just, I was so interested in it. I was Mm -hmm. just immediately intrigued by everything that we were talking about and how relative it all was to, uh, to just the experiences of daily living and how Mm -hmm. it impacts individuals, you know, on a policy level. Mm -hmm. And so, um, I ended up getting an A in that class. And so immediately I was like, okay, this is for me. And from there on, I was a straight A student. And then I graduated with a pretty high GPA. Um, and then immediately I was like, okay, I'm going to be an urban planner. That's my goal because housing and homelessness is such an issue in this state, uh, specifically in California. And I was like, you know what? I want to be at the forefront of change. I want to be someone who's involved in meaningful change and, you know, meaningful impacts into individuals who need housing and deserve housing and just simply can't get it because it's absolutely unaffordable. And it's not just unaffordable to, you know, individuals who are experiencing homelessness. It's unaffordable at all levels. To everyone. Yeah. Yeah. We're going, you and I are going to graduate and we, without you know, opportunities or help from, from family Mm -hmm. would not be able to afford a home Mm -hmm. would Mm -hmm. not, I, I can literally barely afford an apartment. Um, and so, you know, right now I'm living at home just trying to save money, but if for so many students, that's not an option. And so they're killing themselves working, trying to, you know, work multiple jobs just to afford that. So 
that's something that I'm so passionate about. And that's what pushed me into urban planning. So getting accepted to USC, I was so grateful. I was so happy. I'm, I love the program. I think it's amazing. Um, and so that's kind of where we're at now today. Um, and then I also think we should probably talk about like where we're working and uh, what we're doing. That's, you know, the relevant experience. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so if that wasn't clear, me and Nat are in the same program. We are cohort. We are cohort mates. Um, we are cohort we, besties. Too. Yeah, we are cohort besties. We met in our coding <laughs> class and we bonded over how much Python sucks <laughs> and how we were both really bad at Python. <laughs> yes. Um, and the, now we're here. The rest is history. Um, but so I am. So my concentration in school is planning for climate change and sustainability. Uh, like I alluded to before, it's. Um, I don't know. I just think, I don't know how everyone isn't just so concerned about the future of the planet, especially with yeah. all of the things that we're seeing in terms of like wildfires and, you know, lightning storms in the suburbs of LA in June. Like it's just all these hyper-localized events that are happening are just yeah. horrifying. Um, but I work in transportation. Um, I think that the links between sustainable transportation and resilience are really interesting and really important because, for example, if there's a fire right now in LA, no one would be able to go anywhere because the 405 and the 10 and the 101 and every other freeway would be dead stopped. And so I think that it's really interesting and really crazy that we don't have these systems in place that if we needed, you know, buses or trains, there's a lack of that availability. But um, so I work at LADOT, uh, which is the Los Angeles Department of Transportation. And I specifically work in transit planning and marketing, which basically means that if there are any changes to routes for buses, like our bus system, um, I work on those. Um, And I'm definitely, I enjoy the work that I do a lot, um, but I do think that eventually I will want to switch into more of a sustainability and resilience type role um, down the line. Yeah. I, I think too, you know, when you were talking about just the limited options that we have and our, our reliance on cars, like I literally live in the suburbs. So my option is I drive my car everywhere um, because buses are just non-existent or they come at intervals of like every hour and 30 minutes, which is just doesn't work. Mm -hmm. Um, Or I can take the Metrolink, but the Metrolink is only going to, you know, like every other city. I don't really have Mm -hmm. even options after that, like to, okay, well, if I take a bus, it's still going to take me about three hours to get to my destination when I can take my car and it'll probably take me 20, 25 minutes. Um, and so, yeah. And then like you're saying, when, you know, we reach an emergency and we only have one option, that's also such a significant issue. So, Mm -hmm. um, yeah, that's, that's just, we'll talk obviously more about that, but in regards to the work that I do, I work for LA Metro Um, I'm a transportation planner. They have me there as a junior fellow for our housing lab. Um, And so basically the housing lab is trying to focus on alternative solutions to getting housing on the ground as quickly as possible. Just, you know, ground up construction 
the cost of materials and the time that it takes, it's Mm -hmm. such a challenge. The, the process, uh, you know, the timeline Mm -hmm. is so long that we need to find ways to get housing on the ground quicker. And so the housing lab is dedicated to exploring how we can do that. So lots of things that we're looking at are pre-manufactured housing and, um, you know, 3d printed housing. I mean, these are kind of, you know, not pre-manufactured, but 3D printed housing is like a really new concept, Mm -hmm. um, but we're still looking into it and we're trying to find, you know, what are just other solutions, you know, Um, tiny home villages and, you know, things like that. We're just kind of exploring any other option that's not going to take seven years, you know? Um, And so our, basically our board passed a policy in 2021, um, where our goal is to get 10,000 units, uh, in 10 years. And so, um, just to be a bit more specific, my department is known as joint development. So a lot of people think of LA Metro and you're thinking of buses and the rail stations. And yes, um, that is majority of what LA Metro does, but we have a joint development department, which is where we have uh, a lot of land that's owned by LA Metro and we use that land to build housing on it. Um, and that's where, you know, my housing passion is kind of met. Um, so I get to work on, you know, those, those projects. And so the housing lab is, uh, kind of based on this new policy to get 10,000 units in 10 years. And we're just trying to find, you know, just different solutions that aren't going to take, you know, an extended period of time because housing, we need it urgently. And I think, uh, you know, my supervisor, had made a comment one time because her husband's a developer and she had said, it's not even necessarily that we are talking about like things as a housing crisis. It's a housing shortage. And I think that's where you really get to pinpoint, well, that's the issue. Mm -hmm. We're in a housing crisis. Yes. But if we start talking about it as we're in a housing shortage, that's the solution. Mm -hmm. And the solution is more supply. Yeah. Um, And so then it's kind of targeting well, how are we going to bring supply up? And um, there are a lot of issues, uh, you know, that need to be addressed with why we have a supply shortage um, or why we have limited supply. Um, there, are, It's a multitude of things. And so that would, that's going to be like another podcast topic. So I won't dive into it too much today, um, but that's kind of the work that I do at LA Metro. And I, I genuinely really love it. Um, and I think it's meaningful work. Uh, I do think that it's a slow process. Um, and I'm a very impatient person. <laughs> so I'm like, let's go. Yeah. Um, but you know, it takes time. And so I'm trying to learn to navigate through that. Um, and so, yeah, that's, that's my position and, and what I'm doing over there. Yeah. We love joint development. We love transit oriented development. Yes, we do. Oh yeah. I love what you do. Yes. That's actually, that's the other thing because we're LA Metro and we're transit. The property that we own is always adjacent or on a Metro uh, rail line station. So it's transit oriented development, which is extremely important. And again, like just another topic that we're going to discuss in further detail on the podcast. But um, for those that aren't aware, transit oriented development is just building housing near transit. um, And you get a lot of uh, benefits, uh, you know, to doing that because, Mm -hmm you know, you have the option now 
of not needing a car and instead you can use transit. It can happen only in cities that have reasonable transit options, um, which is why you don't see it in suburbs and sprawling communities. But um, in LA, it's it's a it's a benefit. Um, and so transit oriented development is a is a really good thing over there. And so yeah, um, we'll dive a little bit deeper into that later on. So <clears throat> I guess we can talk a little bit about why we felt so compelled to yeah. <laughs> start this podcast. Yes. Um, this was kind of something that we had thought about. I feel like we started brainstorming this months ago. Yeah. And we just did not get our stuff together. Yes. And that is why it is now June. And yeah, we're on summer break. <laughs> literally, I think also we were just kind of like, we're working, we're going to school. We yeah. had literally no time to think about anything else. And yeah. so it was kind of an idea that got thrown out and we were mm-hmm. like, yeah, oh my gosh, we would love to do that. Um, and then months later, now here and then we it was, yeah, the time. <laughs> yeah. I mean, being in grad school and working and you having a two hour commute and yeah, it's just crazy trying to get things that aren't done or things that aren't school and work done. Yeah. So yeah, but here we are and (laughs) happy to be here literally. Um, but I think one of the big things, you know, for starting this podcast is we just want more people to know what urban planning is because I was telling Sam, I literally will tell somebody, oh, I'm in urban planning. Or like, they'll tell me, oh, you're in school. Like, what are you doing? Oh, I'm, I'm an urban planner. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm in, I'm getting my master's degree in urban planning. And then it's this really awkward silence. Yep. And it's like, oh, um, what is that? Yeah. And not only is it hard to describe what it is, but it's just so nuance that there Mm -hmm. really is no like easy explanation. And so I think that when Sam and I were talking about this, we we were just saying that we want more people to know what urban planning is because of how much it impacts literally every aspect of your life. And Sam says that all the time, (laughs) urban planning, you have literally, you have touched something that's a part of someone's daily life in urban planning. So, um, I think that's like one of the big things and just kind of igniting more passion into people to, to really, you know, be interested in these topics because they're mm-hmm. so important. Yeah. <laughs> like, I mean, I always think about, you know, think about your day, you know, if you're in your apartment, well, your apartment is zoned in an area that is deemed compatible with the surrounding uses. Okay. So you wake up, you do your thing, you go outside the sidewalk, the length of the sidewalk, the width of the sidewalk Mm -hmm. that's been determined by a planner, the speed limit on your street determined by Mm -hmm. a planner, how much parking determined by a planner, like where's the nearest crosswalk that's determined by a planner. It's just literally every aspect of your day. Yeah. From when you wake up to when you go to bed has been like planned by someone and probably in the past. And I mean, still a little bit today, a white man who doesn't know the experience of, you know, a woman or a a person of color or a low income person who, you know, they rely on transit or they have a job across town and they need a way to get there. Right. I just there's I just think that there's so much of a need. And obviously there's a lot of barriers to entry because a lot of these positions require at least a bachelor's degree. And so that's a whole other thing. Uh, yeah. people don't value lived experience as much in the field as I think we should, but right. I just think that there's such a need for 
more people to realize, oh yeah, this impacts my every move. Yeah. And I think too, it was important what you said, you know, your sidewalks, your crosswalks, you know, whether things are ADA compliant or not, Mm -hmm. that's determined by a planner or planning regulations, but more so the history, Mm -hmm. such as historical redlining, where it literally segregated communities and people of color could only live in very, very poor conditioned communities that Mm -hmm. ended up turning into, you know, just very poor quality neighborhoods because they weren't maintained by the city because they were deemed, you know, not deserving of city Mm -hmm. maintenance. Um, And we still see those segregated communities today. And to deny that and to deny that there is historical racism and systemic racism that exists today is just simply not true. And so I think it's also, we're not just talking about how planning impacts us today. It's how planning impacted the past Mm -hmm. and how it continues into the present and how we need to address that. And I think too, because we talk about, you know, urban planning seems to be discussed as like a present thing. Like Mm -hmm. I'm an urban planner now, Yeah. but it's our responsibility. It's our duty to acknowledge that there's aspects missing from the definition of urban planning that involve what's happened in the past, that mm-hmm. we have a responsibility to acknowledge the past and make sure we're right, we're making right the wrongdoings that have happened. And I think that's something that's so important because it's not discussed enough. And you know, you want to tell someone like, hey, uh, you know, read this book. Nobody's going to sit and read a book about, you know, historical redlining if they're not interested in that topic. And so I think a 20, 30 minute podcast where we could talk about that in a, mm-hmm. in a quick and absorbing way, <laughs> absorbing way. I don't know if that's the right word, but a way that's easily that's absorbed right. by someone or like, <laughs> just a way that's easily um, understood and yeah. just kind of, you know, <laughs> well, it's so, so much funny. more accessible because when you yeah. think about how much time people have in their day to read, I mean, you yeah. probably have a lot more time than like, or not everyone, but like for me, example, I have so yeah. much more time, but I'm on my phone. I'm doing this. I'm doing that. I'm yeah. TV. A lot of people don't have that time. So it's so much easier yeah. for them in their car or on the bus, just pop exactly. And- yep. Listening to a podcast. That's literally what I do every commute. (laughs) I'm like, I'm in the car on my way to LA and I'm listening to every podcast known to man. Um, And so, yeah, I think this like provides us with an opportunity to share what we're so passionate about. And it gives others the opportunity to learn about things that they, you know, that they may not have known before. And that can really, I mean, it, it impacts them. So things that are really important to their, to their lives. Yeah. So that's just kind of, I mean, I don't know, Sam, if you want to touch upon any, anything else, uh, in relation to like, you know, what urban planning is, we can kind of dive into it, um, a little bit more and I'll let you, I'll let you take it away. Um, yeah, I think that this will kind of become more clear too, as we continue to like talk about more and more nuanced issues that really dive into like the, I don't know, I guess the intersections between planning and like all of these other issues. Um, I think a lot of the times when you think of planning, it's like a very technical um, field when in reality, obviously we're going to need the engineers who can say, oh, at this, you know, speed, like this speed is safe. 
mm-hmm. for cars, or this is the height that we need this rail line to be. But I think that this movement that we've kind of been seeing in planning, at least in our program towards community engagement, towards yeah, um, like having events like workshops and charrettes where it gives the people who live in these communities the opportunity to say, this is what we want and this is what we yeah. need. Yeah. It's so powerful because if you're sitting, you know, in a planning office and you don't have the on the ground experience that yeah. community members do, like you can only do so much and you might not even be doing something that's benefiting people that live there. So I don't know. I think that we are seeing this really interesting transition in planning slowly but surely towards more of an inclusive planning process. Yeah. Not just like the like inclusionary zoning, which is obviously so important. And um, but like just having more inclusionary planning processes behind the scenes yeah. where I don't know. I just think that, that is really like what I feel is going to be a really big change hopefully in like the planning field yeah I agree I think too um you know (laughs) the city of Hollywood they're doing a Hollywood community plan update and their last plan uh community plan wasn't updated until I think it was like the last update was in the 1960s or the Mm -hmm. 1970s and um I could be wrong I'm trying to remember the exact date I'll find it but um you know it's been such a long time which you know there was no conversation of systemic racism there was no Mm -hmm. conversation of climate change there was no conversation about community engagement Mm -hmm. and I think that that is a significant problem but one that's being acknowledged and um may not be acknowledged by everyone, but it's being acknowledged by some pretty important players in the field. And so I think it is important because the future of planning relies on our, you know, understanding that we have a responsibility to the people that we serve, Mm -hmm. even we're not elected, but we're still serving individual people. And so, you know, we have to be cognizant of what we're doing and how it's impacting everybody. It can't just be, oh, you know what, we're going to, you know, uh, we're going to put these, I saw them the other day, we're going to put a sidewalk and we're going to put these like decorative little like concrete balls on them. And it's like, okay, well, if you're an elderly person and you're trying to walk to your bus stop, you need a seat, not a concrete ball. You need yeah. a place to sit. <laughs> and so but it looks it's, so pretty. Right. And it's like when you were in your like, <laughs> you know, as a planner, you guys were discussing about like urban design. You didn't mm. consider that it also needs to be functional. That's a pretty big issue. Um, I also or, think it's just the amount of people that that had to go through yeah, where it's yeah, like, OK, yeah. it starts at like the junior urban designer where and they're yeah. in conversation with their boss and they're like, yeah, like this would be so they would, it would just X, Y, Z would be really nice. Yeah. And then it's yeah. like, it goes through the levels of yep. people. And, and not one to be person like, said, hmm. yeah, not one person said, let's yeah. put a seat in the mile. It's going to yeah. take somebody to walk to the bus stop. Let's put one seat there. I My mean, even grandma one. would have a fit. <laughs> yeah. But I think that's the problem is, you know, and I suffer from this all the time. <laughs> I am of needing a, a white seat. cisgender woman. I'm 
you know, and sometimes, and I'm an able-bodied individual. Yeah. So I'm not always going to be cognizant of, you know, making sure that I'm responding to every single group. And I yeah. don't think that makes you a horrible person. I don't think that makes you the worst person in the world, but we need more people who are then going to listen to community members who can have the opportunity to come out and say, Hey, you know, we saw this proposal for what you're doing at this bus stop and there's no place to sit because when we're talking about shade or there's no shading thing. Yeah, exactly. We don't have any tree coverage. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, that's when we also start getting into who has a seat at the table and who Mm -hmm. actually gets to talk about the issues that they're experiencing. Um, and then are we making it accessible? Like, is it easy Mm -hmm. for these individuals to get to these meetings? Mm -hmm. And a lot of people don't like virtual meetings, but I kind of like them in the sense that it, if you're, you know, working, and you're at home and you want to call into your council meeting, Mm -hmm. I understand like, you know, individuals are busy. You're working all day. You come home, you have a family or, you know, you're taking care of things in the house. I get that, but this might give an easier, you know, opportunity to kind of just call in and express like, Hey, I saw this plan. Like, this is a really big issue. Or Mm -hmm. if you don't have time to read about what's going on in your city or your community, I'm hoping that our podcast could be a place where we can say, Hey, like, this is what's going on. It's a really big issue. We're not going to be able to cover everything, but we can Mm -hmm. cover some major stuff going on. And that way, you know, we're giving people information that's easy to digest and then they can go, okay, you know what? I'm taking issue with that. Or, you know, I want to, I want to express my, my concern or advocate for my support of this. And so I'm going to call into my city council meeting. Um, And so I think that's my hope of what this podcast can do. Yeah, I think we should probably start wrapping it up soon. But I think also just to piggyback off of that, I think what we plan, what we're hoping happens with this podcast is that it can become not only a a medium for us to do to discuss these issues, but a place where we can amplify work that's already being done in the communities that um, or in planning offices you know, in LA and California and just in the United States in general, but yep. uh, we want to give the space and time for people to, you know, really talk about the nuanced issues. And so hopefully yep. that's also a way that the podcast can, I don't know, give space, like I said, to yes. amplify those voices. To, yeah, yeah, totally. I agree. And also um, Sam recommended this and I uh, fully support it um, to do just like a concluding like shout out period where we just kind of, um, you know, shout out an organization that we really support, or we would encourage individuals to look further into, or, you know, that we just really want people to know about. And so, um, Sam, I'll let you go ahead and give our first shout out on our first podcast. (laughs) Yeah. It seems like, so I just want to, I just want to reiterate from the beginning, um, obviously any, um, abortion fund or Planned Parenthood, um, yeah especially today's and not just especially today, but, you know, going forward, uh, I want to just echo that again, but um, for this episode, we had previously uh, kind of talked about this, but um, abundant housing LA is a really cool nonprofit and I'll, I'll kind of read their little description that they have from the website, just so I don't get anything wrong, but abundant housing LA is a pro housing nonprofit advocacy organization working to help solve Southern California's housing crisis. Our organization supports more housing at all levels of affordability and reforms to land use and zoning codes, which are needed in order to make housing more affordable, improve access to jobs and transit, 
promote greater environmental sustainability and advance racial and economic equity. Um, I just really like this organization because it does stress that we need housing at all levels of affordability. We need yep. reforms to land use and zoning codes. And they have a policy agenda, which really, really highlights racial and um, like socioeconomic equity and how this needs to be what every planning entity and every community is striving for. Um, so I think it's it would be great to support. They have um, a really great housing resource hub where you can take actions, you can learn, and um, if you can donate, that's great. If you can't, then just supporting the organization um, is fabulous as well. So I think that is a good, a good first organization to to shout out. Definitely, especially because it's related to housing. <laughs> yes. Um, <laughs> yeah. So all right. Well, um, we really hope you guys enjoyed the podcast. Uh, I want to conclude by just thanking you for your time. And I am really excited so for formal. what we dive into. Thank you for I know. your time. Thank you so much for allowing me the opportunity to tell you a bit about myself. <laughs> Literally. Um, yeah, I'm excited for what's to come. I'm really excited to actually start diving into these topics that we have. Um, so yeah, and Sam, I'm just so happy that we're doing this. Me too. So lucky to have someone like you who is willing to take the leap and start something like this because it can be daunting but i think it yeah. will be worthwhile and i think we'll both learn a lot and hopefully we can inspire others so i agree oh, thanks so for excited. listening and we'll Thank catch you, you next time yep see you later guys bye